Welcome to the Spurs 9501 podcast. From Kane to the lane, the final say on all things Tottenham. Everybody, welcome back to the Spurs 9501 podcast. This is Ray in London. I've got a, a very special guest for uh, today with Harshal Patel. He's a football analyst expert from India. Welcome, Harshal. Hey, Ray. Thank you for having me. It's, it's great to be able to talk to you and uh, looking forward to our chat. Yeah. Excellent, Arshul. Now, um, a lot of our fans are very interested in the role of a football analyst and what they do, etc. So tell us a bit, give us a bit of introduction about yourself and what you do. So, as you said, you know, I am a football analyst in India. Now, I, I, it, it, this sort of happened by accident in the sense that I used to work for a financial services firm uh, in Mumbai. I, I've done my bachelor's in e- economics. So, that was basically the world that I used to inhabit, but I was always extremely passionate about football. I've been a fan since I was, I don't know, eight, ten years old, been watching sure. the Premier League uh, since then. Yep. As you can probably understand, <laughs> given the jersey I'm wearing. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, we'll so, ignore that for the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what basically happened was that on a whim, I was on Twitter uh, and I saw a tweet by, uh, by this person called Chris Darwin, who had put out a tweet asking for... Anybody interested to write about Manchester United, get in touch from uh, from my side, uh, get in touch with me. So I sent him a random DM, got in touch, sent him a couple of samples. He liked it, got on board. That was, I think, October 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So since then, I've been writing uh, and sort of obviously on the tactical analysis side yeah. of things where I analyze matches, players, coaches, uh, and... It's turned, it turned into a full-time opportunity last March where I am now doing this as my full-time job. I, wow. I, I left the firm I used to work for okay. and I'm now doing this as a, as a full-time job for a job for Ronnie Dog Media, which runs TotalFootballAnalysis.com, if you've heard yeah, of it. So I've heard we of that. Basically, yep. uh, yeah, so we basically put out analysis of matches, as I said, you know, uh, tactical analysis of games, coaches, players. Yep. Uh, we, we work with uh, a few professional clubs as well to provide consultancy services. And as I said, yeah, so this is now my full-time job where I essentially watching football is my job, but it's not just watching football. I need to understand what's happening in the game and try and explain it to our readers. And if obviously we're working for clients, then try and deliver whatever the client needs. Hmm. So, um, for example, give us an example of what a client would ask you to do for a specific game or a specific team. What type of requirements would the client have? What are they trying to understand? So we've... I mean, we've had clients who are agents, for example. We've had clubs who've come to us with certain requirements. So, for example, um, sometime last year, we worked for a Premier League club where we basically tried to provide them with a short list of players to look at for a certain position. So, say, for example, left back. They want a, sure. they want a new left back. Sure, 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 yeah. They, we know who the manager is. We know how, what his style of play is. So, we've had to basically prepare a dossier based on... Uh, the, the manager, his style of play, what he wants from his left backs, and then based on their budget and uh, whatever other considerations they may have, come up with a short list of, say, five players or ten players from the leagues that they ask us to scout. Sure, sure. Okay. So it's basically doing the scouting for them and then providing them a short list of, hey, these are the guys who you might want to look at based on your requirements. So that's just one example. There sure. are obviously other projects we've worked yeah. on, but that's... One example of what of the kind of stuff we provide to to clients. And where do you get your data from? So, for example, the tackles and things like that. Where do you work with other data providers to get that data? 
so there are um, there are data providers out there obviously so which also have footage so for example y scout is the yeah. one that's used very commonly not just uh, it's something that journalists use it's something that managers coaches clubs use extensively where you have footage uh, of i think virtually every professional game played anywhere in the world and it doesn't even have to be when i say professional it, i i'm not talking about first team matches you can you can watch footage of uh, you know academy matches under 18 under 17 all of that from all over the world so there's a ton of footage and they also have um, statistics from all of these matches so and for players as well for teams and players as well so there's another one called instat which we use as well and these are just two there are multiple uh, there are quite a few out there which have a lot of data and um, you know the the required information to get uh, us to do our job basically so so no that's excellent really good really good background there thank you very much harshal that's a, a great background in what you do so tell us um some of the metrics that the average fan would be interested in or you know what type of things you know we get sky sports telling us xg xa all these types of things i'm not sure a lot of people understand what they really mean would you be able to maybe clarify a bit for our viewers what they, these things mean yeah absolutely uh x okay let's take x xg for example because it's as you said it's the one that's become the most common um in in football media over the last i think 5 or 5 years or so xg is basically expected goals which in essence if i was to dial it down and make it really simple it's the probability of scoring right. so if you hear that a goal had an xg of 0.2.2 that basically means that on average a shot from that location that type of shot would go in 20% of the time and now this basically comes from there are there are mathematical models which are used where you feed in historical data from ek whatever number of years where, where you have the data for every shot that's been taken say over the last 10 or 15 or 20 odd years right yep, so yep. you then know and 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 you then know the probability of each of a shot going in from each location based on and there are different models which use different factors so some will take into account the positioning of defenders around them some may not do that but overall and and that's why you will often see um that the xg value for a goal could be different for different providers so sky sports could be saying something else opta might say something else for example so there might be minor differences between the xg values provided by different stat providers but the basic essence is basic uh, is trying to tell you that this is the likelihood of a goal being scored from that shot on average yeah so when which is so it it's Yeah, go on. Oh, sorry. You know when you say xg though, is that given so is that for a team so a team has an xg or is it a position or a place in the pitch? What does the xg metric refer to? And what is it a specific player? I mean this is it would be help to understand that as well. So the xg is assigned to every shot. Every shot. Every shot yeah. on goal, yeah, every right. shot on goal will have an xg value. Right. So, so when you see a team had an xg of say 2.5 that basically means that the sum of all the 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 xg sum of all the shots that they took came to 2.5 so the higher the xg the more likely they are to score with every shot they have is that correct um no not not exactly okay. what you're trying so say if a team had an xg of 2.5 after the game yep what that implies then is that on average given the shots that that team oh, that mean, match, yeah. they should have scored they should have scored 2.5 goals now i know that doesn't make sense how do you score 2.5 goals i know i know but yeah 
what you're trying to do here is assign a level of um, I, I mean I, it's almost predictive in the sense because and I'll, I'll uh, what I also want to say here is that um, it's not very useful to look at XG for single matches because I mean somebody could score a goal like okay let's look at the Euro 2020 the goal that Patrick Schick scores yeah. from the halfway line that's gonna that had an XG of I think 0.01 like 1% or something like that so just single events in matches can skew the numbers understood quite yeah it's so, quite random isn't it yeah yeah so XG is actually very useful when you look at it over a period of time as a predictive tool so for example if I'm looking at uh, Harry Kane's numbers and I see that he's consistently scoring more goals than his XG. So, for example, if he scored 25 goals last season, but his XG was 20, he did the same thing the previous season. He might have scored 20 goals from an XG of 18 and so on. What that then tells me is that he is a very good finisher because he's scoring more than what the numbers suggest he's doing. And in the same way, if somebody's consistently underperforming the XG, that tells you that you know what, he might not be a very good finisher. So okay. the best use of XG is over a longer period of time because obviously the sample size increases, you have more observations and you can then try and draw a conclusion of whether a pl- how good a player is in front of goal because ideally you want someone who's, you know, at par with the XG. There are very few players, to be honest, who, who, who overperform the XG and those are what their weight and gold. Okay, excellent. So what other parameters do you think our viewers or subscribers would be interested in understanding other than XG? Um, I've got a couple here. So XG, obviously, uh, we spoke about a related concept is XA, which is expected assist. It's, it's basically the same thing. The only difference is that if I am the forward taking a shot and the shot has an XG value of 0.5, for example, that value of 0.5 will be the XA value for the guy who made the pass to me. So if I scored the goal and you made the pass to me, Ray, you'd get the assist, right? Yes. Now your expected assist for that pass to me will be 0.5, which is the expected goal value of that shot. So it's basically the same thing as XG, just that you're trying, as the name suggests, what is the probability of this pass being an assist? Although I will say that Again, we were seeing XA being used quite a lot in media as well, but XA doesn't really have anything to do with the quality of the pass. It's this, it's the quality of the shot with that value then being assigned to the yep. guy who takes the pass. Okay, perfect. Very good. Anything else you think um, that would be of interest for the yeah, fans? Um, another one, another one, which is an out-of-possession metric in that sense, because these two are obviously referring to instances when your team has the ball, is... Passes per defensive action or PPDA, which, which is another one which we've seen come up uh, quite a lot in the last few years. Now, let's uh, I'll, I'll simplify this with an example. Okay. Let's say Leeds in a game, Leeds United had a PPDA of 6.5. What does this mean? This basically means that Leeds as a team were making a defensive action for every six and a half passes that the opposition was making. Oh, it basically measures it measures the aggressiveness of your press. So the higher the number, the less aggressive you are. So say if Leeds had a PPDA of 20, that means that they're only making a defensive action such as a tackle or a block or an interception. Not a block, actually, a tackle or an interception. Yep. 
20, for every 20 passes that the opposition made. So you can see the difference there. Yeah, right? I can see the difference. So basically, they're giving yeah. the opposition more time on the ball, so they're not pressing it. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. exactly. So that's a very good metric to understand um, which to understand which teams press uh, aggressively. Yeah. Leeds, I, I took the example of Leeds because they've been one yeah. of the most aggressive pressing sure. sides sure. in the Premier League over the last uh, uh, season and in the Championship before that. So it's as i said it's it it helps you understand whether a team yeah. are sitting back or are they sort of trying to aggressively engage with the opponent excellent excellent is there anything um any other sort of um tactics type of thing you'd like to share with us you know any other thing you think that would be of interest um one yeah okay this is not really a metric uh, that uh, that i want to talk about but just one thing where we talk about formations obviously all the time in football yeah. right like the first thing when the team lineup comes out before a game is you look at the team you try and figure out okay this is the formation they're playing in sure. and sure. then try and go from there okay this is how they're going to play blah 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 all of that it's one thing which i've realized very quickly once i started on this uh, sort of analysis journey of mine was that formations are literally just numbers they don't it's not written in stone or it's not fixed so and i i think the best example of this is Italy at the Euros. What I'm trying to say here is that a team could be playing in one formation when they have the ball, but a completely different formation when they don't have the ball. So Italy, for example, when you look at the lineup, you think it's a four-three-three. It is a four-three-three when they don't have the ball. So when the opposition have the ball, you'll see them in a four-three-three lined up, trying to obviously uh, defend. But when they do get the ball, it's actually almost a three-two-five. Oh wow! How does okay, this yeah, yeah, three-two-five. Yeah. So yeah. How does this happen now? You've got the four-three-three. If you can visualize a four-three-three, the what happens when Italy do get the ball is that the right back will push up extremely high, and he'll join the attacking line. So then you've just got the three defenders there, the the left back and the two centre backs. The the off the three midfielders, two will sit and stay central. So that's the two, and then your attacking line of five is the 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 right back. Your three attackers and one of the other midfielders is joined up, so then okay. that yeah. makes it a three to five. So that's yep. one thing which I'd like. Uh, I mean, if if people can maybe when they're watching football, try and understand the fact that formations are not uh, as as uh, rigid as we think they are. They they're fluid. Teams change their shape based on whether they they have the ball or they don't have the ball. And it's it, it, once you try once you understand that and you try and you start looking at games in that respect, you you start to see things. Which you probably won't do. Yeah, that's a very interesting point, actually. So, is that the trigger when I've got the ball? I play this formation. When we don't have the ball, we switch to this formation. Is that the trigger for the the footballers? Yeah, yeah. One of the biggest triggers would be obviously possession versus out of possession. Yeah. There are times where you might, you will see teams maybe even changing things around based on where the ball is. If it's on the far side, if it's on the near side, but that's a little more detailed. But the broad difference would be. When we have possession, we fall into this formation to defend. But uh, sorry, when we don't have possession, we fall into this formation to defend. Yep, But yep. when we do get the ball, certain players will make certain runs. Some players will stay back. All of that, and then that that essentially changes how you're playing oh, uh, okay. in terms of the shape. Okay, excellent. Is there any visuals or anything you wanted to share with us today, or? Um, I don't have a visual for okay. this specifically. Okay. I could probably maybe next time. Next time, uh, maybe, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe show. Yeah. It'd be good to see how that was done. Okay, excellent. Yeah. So this is really good, really, really interesting information, Harshal. It's very good. Yeah, I'm actually learning a lot. I don't. I say I'm a football fan, Thank but you. I don't know the detail that you know, which is really, really interesting. So, 
As you know, my team, Tottenham Hotspur, unfortunately, is the laughing stock of football at the moment. We haven't had a manager for 70 days. Or we've, we've spoken to every single person you could imagine could be a manager, but nobody yeah. wants to come. There's rumours now potentially that Nuno Espirito Santo could become our new manager. Again, it's not been officially announced on the website, but social media is rife with that he's going to be announced soon. Anything you can share with our subscribers and our fans about the way Nuno plays the game? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nuno, I think last season was obviously a disappointment at Wolves, but there, I mean, there, there's a lot of ex, uh, you know external factors on that, around that. The pandemic, the fact that Raúl Jiménez yeah. got injured and was out for the season. Um, so, if you actually look at his entire body of work in England, it's extremely impressive. The fact that he took Wolves from the Championship to the Premier League yep. in such uh, Wolves, uh, if you if you look back to two or three years ago when they were in the Championship. That first season under Nuno, they played some of the best football in the championship and got promoted quite easily. And obviously, the money has helped. The fact that they've been able to go out and buy players like Ruben Neves and Jimenez, Champions League quality players, playing in the um, in uh, uh, Neves, for example, signed when he was when they were in the championship. You know, yep. and he'd captained Porto at the age of 19 in the Champions League, which tells you how good a player he was. Yep. And you're seeing him playing in the second tier in England. So obviously, the money has helped, but at the same time. Nuno has had a very clear philosophy and a very clear style of play to the extent that um, if, obviously, uh, if uh, y'all would have seen uh, Wolves play last season, they switched to a back four. Yeah. And this made news because this was the first time that nu- that his that Wolves had played with a back four under Nuno. Every game until that point um, that Nuno was in charge, was uh, he, he'd used a back three. So, it's a very clear system and uh, uh, and a very um, sort of, you know, there, there wasn't really too much. Uh, there was flexibility, but it wasn't a case of him adapting to what the opponent was putting out, for example, in terms of completely changing his shape. You would make a few changes here and there, but it was more a case of him trusting his own process and his own uh, system. And which is why I think if he does get appointed at Spurs, he has obviously played, as I said, with a back four for, for Wolves last season, but I have a strong suspicion that he might just stick to a back three with Spurs. And I think that that actually suits the Spurs squad quite well. The, the kind of players that Spurs have might actually do well while playing in a back three, uh, whatever that may be, whether that's a 3 4 3 or a 3 5 2. And I'll go into the details yeah. in a bit. But, uh, is a back three, Harshal, a bit. People consider it to be more of a defensive than an offensive formation. Is that correct? It depends on how you play it. Now, it does. Obviously, you've got the extra center back in there, so the the perception is that you are, you know, more defensive. But look at Germany at the Euros again, for example. The way they beat Portugal, the fact is that because you've got two wing backs, it's extremely difficult to mark those wing backs because if you're a team playing with a four man uh, defense, say like how Portugal did, you're playing with a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. You don't know who's supposed to mark the wingbacks. Is it the two fullbacks who come out and mark the wingers? Yep. Uh, the wingbacks? Are my wingers supposed to drop? And that's exactly what happened with Portugal. If you if you saw the game, uh, the two Portuguese wingers were being forced back because of the wingbacks. So Portugal were playing a 6-3-1, essentially. When <laughs> Portugal did not have the ball, yeah. when the ball was with Germany, it was essentially a 6-3-1 because... Germany had uh, were playing a 3-4-3. They had a front three. Now, because you've got the f- three players in the attack and they're all staying very narrow, they're not going wide across the pitch. They're staying very narrow. 
the Portuguese defenders also had to stay narrow, so then they couldn't go out to the wing backs, which is why the wingers had to drop. So you think it's it's a defensive formation, but depending on how you use it, it can be extremely offensive. Uh, mm. uh, uh, as I, as I mentioned, Germany scored four goals that day. They could have scored many more, and the tactic was very clear. And I think also, though you need the centre backs to be able to be ball playing centre backs, they can come out with the ball pass the ball, etc. Now, I don't know, we can go into Tottenham another time, but you've got people like Eric Dyer, Davinson Sanchez. These guys are not ball-playing guys, so I'm not sure. I think he's going to have to um, change his, you know, change the players, etc., to match his, his style of play. People yeah, like Connor Cody and Bolly, they can come out and play with the ball. I'm not sure our guys can, but that's something for Nuno to, to sort out, I think. Yeah. Alderweireld, though. Alderweireld can do it, yeah. Toby can do it, yeah. definitely, but... He's getting on now. We need younger players, but yeah. So you think Nuno's going to stick with it? Is it now? What's the difference between? A, I know this sounds like a stupid question. It probably is. The difference between a three-four-three three and a three-five-two is that quite a fluid formation? Because you still got you know the full the wing backs push up, make it the midfield three, and make it a five. Is it similar, or do they? What's the? Di- there is a difference in terms of like for Al Al. If I'm talking about Nuno specifically, yeah. He used both formations quite a lot at, at Wolves, you know, the 343 and the 352. Now, it I think the way uh, or when you would use each formation would also depend a little bit on the opposition. So, for example, if you've got a team that likes to attack down the wings facing you, if you if that's who your opponent is, you would probably move to a 343 because you've got the two wingers alongside the striker in your three, and you've got four um, in the midfield line. But what that does is, in the defensive phase or when you don't have the ball, your wingbacks will drop to make it a 5 and the two wingers will drop to make it a 4. So you'll be a 5-4-1 right. where you're covering the width of the pitch yeah. and you're blocking off those wide areas for the, uh, for, the, for the opposition to attack. Whereas if it's a team which likes to attack centrally, you would probably do a 3-5-2 where you've got two strikers. Now those two strikers will stay central in front of the midfield and stop the opposition centre-backs from being able to pass into the central midfielders. You'll, you'll force them wide. So that's the difference. I, I, obviously, I'm talking here from a defensive point of sure, view. It sure, could have sure. ramifications when you have the ball as well. But just the first sort of clear difference that you can make out is, depending on the opponent, if it's a team that likes to attack down the wings, you were more likely to see a 3-4-3. If there's someone who likes to attack centrally, you're more likely to see a 3-5-2. Yeah. And one of the things is um, about Nuno, is this, is, does he have a plan B? So, for example, if the three at the back is not working or he's getting overloaded in certain positions, is he able to be fluid and change the formation in-game and, and to counter what the opponents are doing? Or does he rigidly stick to his formation? That was one of the criticisms of Nuno, that he was quite um, inflexible in that sense. In, as I said, before before last season, Wolves never really moved away from a back three. They only ever played a back three in matches. And the and the tweaks you'd see were, would be stuff like this, you know, moving from a 3-4-3 to a 3-5-2, for example. But last season, we saw him move to a back four quite regularly for Wolves. And to be honest, it wasn't very successful. Again, Jimenez being out injured is a big reason for that. They lost their sort of central attacking focal point. Yep. But... I think it also had to do with the fact that the defenders just weren't used to playing in that system. Like Connor Cody, as you mentioned, he spoke about how he had not played in a back four yep. at Wolves at all. So it's it was a huge adjustment. It, it may seem, I mean, I know it, it seems as though you've, it doesn't really matter too much whether you're playing in a back three or a back four, but 
the positions you take up, the the sort of marking you need to do, all of that changes. So the defense really struggled. The attack was, I think, okay. It it could have been better, but we've got the uh, the fact that Jimenez was out injured to mitigate that. But the defense was the area that struggled. So again, I'm not saying that he can't adapt. He might come in at Spurs, look at the squad, and say, you know what, I can't play a back three with these guys. I have to play with a back four. And then if he comes in early enough and he's got preseason. You know, in a, uh, he's got enough time during preseason. He can drill them into the shape, whatever it may be, with a back four. But uh, who, uh, I, I have a feeling that it, uh, that he will play with a back three. And as I said, I think there are quite a few players in this first squad who could work really well in that back yep. three. Yeah, I in think so. overall shape. Yeah, I think Doherty and Reguilon could be the wing backs, and I think that they exactly. used to playing that. Yep. Okay, excellent, Harshal. That's been really good. You know, we really appreciate your time. Is there, we hope to have you on for future sessions. You know, where we can go through specific um, yep. formations and things like. We like to say to our viewers, you know, if you've got any comments or any questions for Harshal, please put them in the comment section, and we'll try and address them when we have the next session. Is there anything you wanted to close off? Any anything you wanted to share before we close the the, the podcast, Harshal? Um, just that, um, as I said, it's been a pleasure to come yeah. on here and talk to you guys. Uh, uh, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I write for TotalFootballAnalysis.com. Okay. So if you want to see more of this sort of stuff, and it's obviously not just me, there are a bunch yeah, of yeah, course, really yeah. good writers. So you can go out there, check it out. We've just launched our uh, July magazine today, so which has got 16 full-length tactical analysis pieces, five data visuals, and it looks really good as well. If you yeah. go and check it out, the, the artwork done by our editor uh, is extremely good. So and uh, so you can go on the website, check it out. It's it's very reasonably priced. Sure. And yeah, as I said, um, you you can probably find my Twitter handle in in the description. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll put your Twitter handle in the description. Content and all of that. I'll put the football yeah. analysis website in the description as well. Any other social media thank platforms, uh, we'll put them in. And uh, we'll yeah. say thank you very much, Arshul, and we're. You know, uh, good luck to Manchester United for next season. But hopefully, once Nuno is uh, officially announced, we'd like to have you back on just to maybe go through some visuals and explain how you think he's going to play the team. Yep, definitely. If if that does happen, if Spurs do end up appointing Nuno, I can definitely come on and sort of explain what you can expect from him in terms of tactics. Yep. Okay. Thank you very much, Nuno. Uh, Nuno. I'm calling you Thank Nuno. You. Thank you very much. I should appreciate that. <laughs> I get it. I mean, I do look like him a little bit. <laughs> I, I just need to grow out the beard. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. The beard a little more. No, that's great. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Spurs 9501 podcast. Stay in touch, continue the debate, and let us know what you want to discuss by finding us on YouTube. Tune in after the next match day for more insight. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Spurs 9501 podcast. Stay in touch, continue the debate, and let us know what you want to discuss by finding us on YouTube. Tune in after the next match day for more insight. Thanks for listening.